Welcome to the Altered Podcast, where we honor God and the things He does. And we went live on the Facebook page. We did. And what did we do? We played Hillbilly Golf, which is like ladder ball. My misconception was it was ladder ball. It's not. It's at farther distances, heavier bolos, or whatever you call those things. Yeah. <laughs> so if you're in the United Kingdom, Zimbabwe, or Canada, and you don't know what a hill, hillbilly is, look it up. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, it's me. It's it's people who are from the hill. Uh, it's people who we were raised in a holler. That was me, too. I was raised in a holler. Um, Holla back. <laughs> not like that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, people who were raised in a holler um, have some ingenuity to them. Yeah. So last week we had our very first uh, new episode of the series called God Working in the Interruptions. We did. Um, but we're going to take a pause again and we're going to hop back to living that Christian life and we're going to be talking about evangelism with Alex Kennedy and we're so happy to have him. Dina. Tell us a little bit about Alex. Yeah. Alex, we're so happy to have you here. And you are our first um, guest that we have on the podcast. So Alex Kennedy is the founder, along with his wife, Destiny. And he's also the executive director and missions director of Save the Nations Ministries. Alex is a graduate of Southwestern Assemblies of God Universities with a master's of biblical and theological studies and a master's of divinity. Alex oversees all-day, today operations, oversees trips and training, and fundraising for Save the Nations Ministries. Alex helps lead and develop both Nations Outreach Program and serves in Louisville. Is that, like, in Louisville, leading the Nations Outreach there? You know what that tells me? He's the most qualified guy sitting <laughs> at this table. I know. <laughs> I read that last it's, night, and I was like, oh, my gosh. He's got, like, so many degrees. It's just a lot of nerd <laughs> talk. It doesn't matter. Man, <laughs> I didn't know how official you were. I am so jealous, by the way, because I want a Master's of Divinity, and you have one. So, yeah, that's awesome. Well, you need to do it. I know. It's right? worth it. Where did you do yours? Uh, I did it at Southwestern. <laughs> okay. I just said that. Awesome. Yeah, you have to oh. listen to your wife. <laughs> <laughs> well, there were so many words in there. They were big words. It was hard. Was so there's something on the plan here, and it's called baby story. Yes. And I need to, and I heard y'all talking about it, but I closed my ears because I didn't. I wanted to have a live reaction to this. I need to know this baby story. Well, it all kind of started before we when we met Alex at one of the Chi Alpha State retreats. It, you want to talk about that, Ben? Uh, well, so it really didn't start there. It started at district council. No, we had that first, and then that's how we knew Alex. Yeah. Okay. So we, yeah. So we met Alex at a state <laughs> retreat. We did. Um, <laughs> and so it was a Chi Alpha state retreat. You know, we do Chi Alpha campus ministries. In case you don't know, and you're listening for the first time, it is a ministry to um, college campuses. And so we had our all of our Kentucky Chi Alphas to come. Alex, who does this awesome ministry that Dina just talked about. And Alex came down and took them out onto the streets of Louisville to minister to um, uh, the homeless population there. And so it was super cool. We loved to, to, to bring him down, to hear all of his stories, to hear his rules. Because, you know, a lot of the things that, that I think we thought about for homeless ministry, um, and we'll address some of this as, a, as we talk to Alex, but we had a lot of misconceptions. And so it was really cool to meet you. And then we get to district council, and district council is this, it's kind of the annual business meeting of the assemblies. We talk about all kinds of things. We get to hang out with all of our pastor friends. We get to see all of our missionaries across, you know, Kentucky and the world and all that stuff who come out. 
and so Alex is doing some ushering there. Um, as he is ushering, he has baby in one hand and he has bucket in the other, and he's trying to take up um, offering and hold his child at the same time. So I was like, Alex, I feel like I know you enough at this point, even though, I mean, I hope I do anyway. You only met him once. I'd only met him once, but whatever. <laughs> like, I'm just, I'm one of those people, like brothers for life now. Um, I was like, do you want me to hold your child? And he was like, sure, right? Yep. It was good. And so... And Ben stands up and grabs the baby, and I'm like, Ben, we don't know anything about babies. <laughs> I know enough to know that don't drop them. I mean, that's step one. <clears throat> and a good so, start. Yeah, right? I mean, that baby's bounced, but I don't think you should drop them. Anyway, so I'm like, hey, you want me to hold your child? He's like, sure. Hands the child over. She starts to get fussy and cry, which I understand. I'm a weird bearded man. I, I get it. <laughs> you know? And yeah, so... You well, you know. <laughs> and so your wife walks up and is like, here, why don't you let me take her? I didn't know who your wife was. I never met your wife. I'd only met you. So I'm like, stranger danger. No, you can't have this child. Well, didn't know Ben was into kidnapping, did you? Yeah. I so, mean. So you withheld. Wait a minute. Hold <laughs> up. You withheld this baby from its mother. I didn't okay, know. We were in a room full of pastors and pastor's wives. So it was just natural that once a baby started like crying just a little bit that somebody came up and wanted to like help take the child out, I guess. All right, Pastor Ben, Chi Alpha missionary, child kidnapper. <laughs> what else what else are we gonna add on? Man of many surprises and yeah, talents. That's right. Yeah. Hey, not all sins are voluntary, I guess. You know, kidnapping is one that I didn't mean to do in this particular case. But yeah, well, so well, at least you admit to it. Hey, and once once I found out that, you know, she was who she said she was, I was like, Oh, well here you go. Then you can have your child. Yes, that's fine. Yeah. So good. That's our that's our that's our baby story. Wow. Well, that is amazing. Don't touch my children. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Lily loves me. When I call on the phone now, Lily's like, is that Ben? Yep. She does. She does. So. And she hears your voice all the time because I'm editing. <laughs> She's like, is that Ben? I'm like, yes, that's Ben. She's like, hi, Ben. I'm like, that's a computer screen. <laughs> he can't hear you at this particular <laughs> She's like, he's not talking to me. Rude. Oh. So, Alex, let's get to the serious part. Uh-oh. <laughs> Here we go. So we, we, we got to have the pleasure of hearing you preach at the church, and he did a cool Kool-Aid trick, which we talked about in the uh, podcast just a couple weeks ago that you all heard about. And so we got that was the first time I got to meet you and all that good stuff. But I have not got to hear about your salvation story. And so tell us about that. So go for it. So I um, was not raised in church. My parents were the people, they said they were Christian, would occasionally maybe go to church, just not active, not involved, didn't really know, I think, what they wanted. But at about seven years old, my grandmother began taking us to church. And so I remember at seven, no knowledge of the Bible or Christianity, walking into church, was in a main service, heard the preacher speak, and just immediately felt that conviction. So at seven years old, I ran up uh, to receive Jesus that day, received Jesus and... Um, Ended up being, just fallen under the Spirit of God, had a vision that day that was my call into missions, and was filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, all at seven years old, same day. Wow. Um, Overachiever. <laughs> <laughs> my wife would just nod her head in agreement. Um, <laughs> but did that, was incredibly, just, I loved it. Not long after, my parents uh, were just not thrilled with how things were going. I don't know why, whether it was the church or my relationship or my grandmother, I have no idea, um, decided that's not happening. You're not going to church. Uh, and not long after we moved away. So I didn't go to church again for about 10 years. Um, so 
God protected me, guided me. I was never into the things of the world during school, but I just had no foundational faith knowledge. I knew what I believed. I had a Bible, but I didn't know where to start reading. I didn't know what it meant. Um, and then at 17, God invited to a church plant from a friend. Uh, to be honest, they bribed me with basketball. It was in a school gym, and they said, hey, you can play basketball after service. So I went in. Um, a missionary spoke and immediately just rededicated my life to Christ. I was all in. Uh, called, Just reconfirmed my call into missions and have been going at it since. Nice. So, and you mentioned your wife. So how did you meet your wife? So I met my wife through Girl Scouts. I was not a Girl Scout, don't worry. <laughs> I was going <laughs> to say, whoa. <laughs> yeah. Um, hey. So th- I have three sisters, uh, and all of them were in Girl Scouts, and they befriended my wife uh, at that time. And so she grew up a lot, spent a lot of time in our house to get away from her family, kind of some bad situations in her background. So she'd come over all the time. We practically grew up together. That's cool. And so your wife has felt the same call to ministry that you have? Yeah. Yeah, my wife has been through quite a bit in her. Her testimony is just incredible. Um, She's gone through some drug addiction, some human trafficking in her childhood. Um, And just coming out of that and having Jesus come down and meet her uh, where he did, we just both are on fire, uh, just love serving people and loving people. I think having not been raised in the church, we just— we were both saved by people who came out of the church. So we just look at it as it's our job to continue that for people who were like us that were lost. And you told me that you, and, and as we said earlier, you your missionary work is with the homeless community. So how did that really get started? Yeah, so we had done some overseas work. Um, and then when 2020 rolled around, uh, We obviously stopped traveling uh, with everybody else, and we became much more involved with homeless ministry. So we'd done it here and there through our church roles, uh, through some staff positions that I had as outreach pastor and things like that, but we'd never done homeless full-time. But then when 2020 hit, we plugged in with a local AG missionary who did street ministry to the homeless and human trafficked on the streets of Phoenix, Arizona, uh, and we just fell in love with it. It was just who we were. Um, As I said, with my wife's background, it's very similar to that. Um, but we just went out one time and we're like, this is what we were made to do. We just loved the people. We loved the relationships. We loved the opportunity. Um, and so we did that. And I just saw on the books of face, I mean the Facebooks, um, <laughs> that you have been officially like with the assemblies of God now, right? You, is that correct? Yes. Okay. So I'm just saying, like, you, yeah, how do I, uh, Ben, you're the missionary here, I don't know. <laughs> you are a nationally appointed missionary at this point. District. Oh, you're, okay, so you're yeah, appointed. so we're a district-appointed okay. missionary Okay. Uh, here Sweet. for the Kentucky District. Gotcha. And, and that just happened, like, officially? Yeah, just about, I think it was three months ago now. Okay, nice. Yep. Around district council time, right? Yeah, okay. it was May. Okay, cool. Awesome, awesome. And, we, and we will talk about how to give and how to help out this awesome missionary, um, later on at the end of the episode. Um, so that is a, a big a big thing in my heart is evangelism and talking to people and uh, all that, you know, great stuff. So, But I want to just kind of dive into more um, of the story here. I want to know the craziest thing that has happened to you in this ministry walk. So in the walk is in like craziest thing that's happened in 
my walk with Jesus, or is it like in street ministry? I'm going to say yes. So we, we, <laughs> we can uh, so we can do uh, your your walk with Jesus, and then I want to hear your craziest story of street ministry. So my craziest story since I started ministry, which was really right after I accepted Christ, um, was overseas. So COVID actually broke out when I was in Africa. Uh, absolutely insane because we're getting text messages like, oh, that's crazy. Things are shutting down. There's no toilet paper, which in out of context, we're like, what is happening? <laughs> uh, and so suddenly we get a call at 2 a.m. when I'm in Africa of, hey, they're shutting down entry into the United States. And so you need to come home. And so me and my team prayed through it. We finished our uh, our task there. We stayed a couple extra days and flew home. But I remember when we flew into the United States the CDC boarded our plane in hazmat suits. Absolutely, like, craziest moment in my entire ministry career to watch people just, like, full-on puffy jackets, like, walking onto a plane. I'm like, what is happening? Because wow. Africa, it was like everything was normal. They didn't know what to do. So they're just like, it's fine. And then the U.S., just such a change. Huh. So you, like, so were they talking about COVID over there or no? No. No, just I like, mean, we were hearing about it from our friends in the States that were texting us, but it was like, oh, this isn't an Africa problem. Right. Huh. So, gotcha. So what did the th- these uh, crazy aliens and <laughs> hazmat suits <laughs> come do? Yeah. Um, so it was, I, I think it was just a lack of, we didn't know what to do at the time being so early. It was March of 2020. Uh, so they were just coming around in hazmat suits taking people's temperatures. And it's like, I don't know if it was overly productive, but took <laughs> your temperature, made you stand in a room all together for like an hour, and then finally released us to go get on our planes. That's safe. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> as I said, it was just, and I know that they were just doing the best with what they could, but it was very, very different. But Interesting. having, we had eight canceled flights on our way home. And wow. so it was just absolutely crazy to kind of jump through all the hoops of man, I mean, they were talking about you might have to go two weeks and be quarantined at a government site, all sorts of stuff that early in COVID. So it's just absolutely crazy to kind of experience because I, I know we heard a lot of the stories, but to have lived through that wow. uh, was really different. Wow. So your craziest uh, story now as a street missionary? So I, Ben always loves to highlight this one. Yeah. Because he's heard it. Because um, it's funny, we've had some dangers, but a lot of them are very routine. Uh, people do carry firearms on the streets and knobs and things like that. Um, but I remember it was our, I believe it was our first time ever in Louisville doing street outreach with a team. We'd prepped them. We talked about, Hey, here are the safety procedures, all of that. We, we really don't need these. They don't happen very often. It's literally what I told them. I'm like, Oh, we never use this. And so we're going out. Famous last one. Famous last one. <laughs> and everybody that was there makes fun of me. Like, of course you said that. And then this happened. You just set yourself up. Um, but we were out on the streets, and I was like, it's fine. We're not going to have any danger. Nobody's going to cause a problem. Nobody's going to try and hurt you. And so we're under a bridge right off of downtown Louisville in a homeless camp. And so I'm just, I mean, we're just loving on people. And I looked down the alley on the other side of this bridge, and there is a gentleman walking towards us with a big stick, and he's screaming, just pounding it into the pavement and on fence posts as he walks by. And all of a sudden, he lowers it like a spear and I see that literally he had handcrafted a spear it is sharp metal at the end and he just charges us uh and it was just screaming nonsense we had no idea what was happening um so that was definitely like just the wildest thing and he ran right up to me I was getting a lot of our volunteers in the vehicle so I just stayed out there um and he ran right up to me was about two inches from my face holding the stick you're not scared of me and I was like 
no. And he went, okay, can I have a snack? <laughs> Grabbed a bag of snacks and walked away. He was like, yes, you can in Jesus' name. <laughs> <laughs> just so random, just ran all the way up. Okay, can I have snacks now? It was it. Uh, just absolutely yeah. weird. My three-year-old does that. <laughs> well, and, and so when, when you did the training with us, um, and this is going to segue, this is going to be a perfect segue into something else, but when you did the training with us, when we were doing, um, <laughs> when we had all of our students there, you, you said why you thought he did that. Why do you think he did that? Oh, now you're going to have to remind me. Okay, so, so your words back then were, you know, we were invading his territory, and so he was just protecting the only stuff that he had, the only thing that he knew, right? That's kind of what you said. Yeah, yeah. You said, so just don't invade their territory, and you'll be fine. I mean, it's, it is a big part of it, of, hey, we're just, you know, it's like I tell people all the time, if you just walked into my house willy-nilly, I would probably shoot you. Right. Like, I don't, I just, I have kids, I have a family, I'm going to defend my house. I don't know why you're there. Yeah. Um, that tent and that sidewalk really is their house. It's right. the closest they have. So they do get very defensive of that. Uh, and especially, I think, because it was our first time in Louisville. We had no reputation. Nobody knew who we were. So he really did think we were outsiders. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now that is the perfect segue that leads me into my next thing. What's, so what do, you, um, what do you see as the biggest misconception about homeless ministry or misconceptions about homeless ministry in general? Yeah. And feel free to tell us a little bit, too, a, a little bit more about your ministry, because I know we know about it, but I don't know if... Oh, yeah, I guess, yeah. What, what's the general... <laughs> what do you do? Yeah. yeah, so we have outreach teams that go out twice a week into the inner city. We go downtown. We go into the homeless camps, into the west end of Louisville, which is rather dangerous, um, and just love on people, first and foremost. I always tell our team, it's not what we do, it's who we are, uh, which will apply to evangelism later, but... We just go out, we love them, we feed them, so we often carry bags of snacks. We also, a couple times a month, do hot meals. Um, And then just build relationships. So we talk with people, we share the gospel, we pray with them. Um, And then we always, especially since I think it's 97% is the current statistic of people who have been homeless more than two weeks are in active addiction. So we always want to be a bridge out you know, the Good Samaritan, we come in, we can banish people on the side of the road, but we have to take them somewhere or we're wasting our time. So we connect them with recovery resources all the time uh, and really try to get them to the next steps in life. Um, so that's that's a focus is where do we take them? Where do we, where's the long-term goal? Not just ministry for a moment, but ministry for a lifetime. Yeah. So that's where it starts. And then you're gonna have to remind me of your other question. Um, well, so we'll get there. So, uh, one of the things I thought was really cool, um, was that you said what, if somebody wants off the street, you can hook them up, right? Yeah. So tell me a little bit about that. So we have, last I checked, it is about 25 agencies across Kentucky and Southern Indiana now, and a little bit in Southern Ohio that partner with us Mm -hmm. to scholarship any person who wants recovery. Mm -hmm. So we have, if it's drug recovery, we can get you into a Christ-centered facility at no cost to you for 90 days, six months, a year, any, whatever it takes. Mm -hmm. Um, We also have that for domestic violence victims, for human trafficking, as we've rescued several women out of trafficking on the streets of Louisville. Um, If mental health, all of these things, we have Christ-centered solutions of we can put you in a place if you want help and want next steps at no cost to you. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, okay, so now you've you've worked with the homeless population for a while. What's the biggest misconception you see among not I guess really among the homeless so much as among you know 
people from the outside looking into your ministry? I think a lot of it is that it there's such an emphasis, and I want to say it's politicized, I think is the biggest misconception at its core. Mm. Um, everybody treats homelessness like, oh, they just want to be addicted. They want to be homeless. This is the lifestyle they've chosen. Um, I can't remember the exact percentage, but it was about 45% of people become homeless because they're in active addiction, mm. which, I mean, is a solid percentage. But if you come back to where I was a few minutes ago, it's in the 90s percentage of people who become addicted or are addicted while homeless. So a lot of times the, the misconception is, oh, they're just homeless because they're addicted. But a lot of times that addiction is a medication or a way of trying to cover the fact that they're homeless. Mm. Um, so a lot of people are like, oh, they just got addicted to a substance and they knew better they're homeless because of that. Where a lot of times it's the opposite. They're doing addiction, they're entering addiction as a way to medicate. Some of them are trying to stay awake to protect themselves and they're going to use whatever they can to keep them and their family safe. Situations like that. Mm. So that's a, a common misconception we see is, oh, they're just homeless because they're addicted. But oftentimes that's not the case. Mm. So what do you see uh, as reasons people are homeless, you know? I mean, there's a, a great variety that we see, and addiction is a lot of it. Mm -hmm. um, we see a l far more human trafficking than I think people anticipate. Mm -hmm. uh, Kentucky is a top 10 human trafficking state, according to several studies. Really? Um, especially in Louisville, because there's three major freeways uh, and the university. So there's a lot of trafficking. up, And, of course, the Kentucky Derby. Mm -hmm. uh, we become one of the top three human trafficking cities in the United States during the Kentucky Derby. Wow. Um, so that's a lot of it is those freeways, not, but we have a lot of human trafficking victims. And so when they are either sold or convinced or kidnapped or whatever into human trafficking, a lot of times they're drugs are utilized to control them. Mm. So they become homeless because of the human trafficking and then the drugs keep them there. Gotcha. Wow. That's something. So, so, um, for the people who would say, you know, well, you know, statistics show that most people, you know, that are homeless choose to be so. You would say that's probably not really true. I definitely disagree. I think, and I understand that there's a lot of arguments both ways. First off, there's a real lack of communication to homeless people of, hey, there are resources for you. Hmm. Most of the people, if you went and talked to them, would not understand the resources that are available. Uh, but second, for a lot of these people, the last person they trusted is why they ended up homeless whether it was domestic violence or the person who introduced them to drugs or the person who human trafficked them. So it's not as simple as, oh, trust me and just get off the streets into a solution. Well, the last person I trusted put me here, so why wouldn't you just make it worse? Hmm. So what is your biggest obstacle in your mission? I think just build the time to build relationships is a big one. Um, we definitely have a lot of obstacles that are very tied together. Um, with human traffickers, with people who are dealing drugs, things like that. But the biggest obstacle is just building those relationships because it takes so long to develop trust against people who's been shattered. Yeah, that's something. Um, so what do you appreciate about the people? And I would even say the culture um, that you're working with right now. Man, there's so much love. Mm. And I know people would be like, really? But there is. We go down there and we, I mean, when we get out of our truck, uh, there are homeless people who are lined up, not for food, but giving our team hugs and speaking to them like they're our best friends. Yeah, that's um, really cool. I mean, we had a individual in our homeless community that was killed tragically about a week ago. Mm. 
And I got phone calls because his family, he had given his family my number. Mm. Like this is, it, it, oh, you were his friend. It's not just a ministry. It's these people love us and we love them and wow. they're people. Uh, so we just have great relationships. Uh, ironically, since that Spear incident, we've had a couple other times where violence has been prepared to happen. And one time we even had several of the people we minister to jump in front of me like, oh, if you want to mess with them, you have to get to us. Mm -hmm. So there really is that love of, hey, we'll lay down our own lives for you. Yeah. Uh, So it's awesome. Wow. That's really cool. So speaking of that, um, uh, I like this question. And I I didn't write any of these. (laughs) I kind of feel bad. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Thanks, Hunter. Th- no problem. Uh, I'm here to help. How does Alex overcome the fear of street ministry? Most people are afraid to talk uh, to people they know well. How does he maintain that boldness? Man, I think there's so many things at play here. Because um, a lot of it comes to the, are we afraid of evangelism? Uh, I think that's a big part of it. And then, are we afraid of those we're evangelizing too? Mm. Uh, and I think those are two very distinct roles of, okay, are we afraid of sharing the gospel and how people react? Uh, in which case, well, obviously we need the boldness of the Holy Spirit uh, and just to seek what God has for us in evangelism. But then if it's the people demographic, there's several things I knew for me that are impactful. Um, the first of which, I had several heart traumas at 19. Uh, they told me I would probably make it about six months and I wouldn't live past that. So... God miraculously healed me. It was incredible. Another one of those testimonies we could spend all day on. But for me, it's it's not my life. And the reality for all of us is it's not our life. It's Jesus's. I've given my life to him. So now my job is to go just like he gave his life for me and give it to somebody else. So, you know, if this does take my life, then it's worth it because I'm doing what God called me to. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the second thing is we know that God is with us. We know that God has called us, and the safest place to be is in the calling of God. Because mm. uh, that's where he has a plan, that's where he has a strategy, that's where we know he is walking beside us. So I would much rather be in the midst of chaos in the world, but in the calling of God, than in the most peaceful, safe place in the world, but not have God with me. That's good. That's good. I think uh, something that's really stood out uh, to me that you said was that the last person that they trusted you know, did something bad mm-hmm. to them. Um, do you think that uh, most of the people that you talk to, are they responsive to the gospel when you talk to them? Eventually, that's going to be my answer. So I'm very intentional with our team, and it's one of the, I, I always come back to that motto for us, it's not what we do, it's who we are. It's not that we just share the gospel, it's that we live the gospel and demonstrate it. So, I mean, the first several times, no, that we always... all always get that buffer that I don't want to talk about this. I've been hurt by the church. There have been organizations that came out and told me I was going to hell, but never cared to to listen to my story. And there's a big block against the gospel. Mm -hmm. But as they realize, hey, we're just here to love you and build that relationship with you, a lot of those doors open up. Um, And oftentimes it really is that gospel foothold that sees lives changed. It's something like 90% of our people who accept Jesus on the streets end up in Christ-centered recovery in a month uh, or less. So it's oftentimes that the gospel really is that platform and that open door to all of the other solutions. Yeah, a lot of times, and we talk about it uh, with Bible reading, for instance, um, you know, that that we build it in, we don't tack it on. And mm-hmm. so, like you said, it's a part of who we are. Um, and so for us, you know, when we're on campus, you know, mission and missioning or whatever you want to call it, um, 
same thing. You know, we, we tell our students, hey, we're not here to, um, you know, bash somebody with a gospel gun, right? You know, we're, what the goal is to make friends, and out of that, tell them about the most important thing that's ever happened to you. Um, so, yeah, man, that's just, that's super cool that you're going out not to, I mean, though evangelism in and of itself is important, you're going out first to, you know, make those connections, make those friendships, you know, the, the love that you see on the street, like you were talking about, man, super cool. You know, when we, when you were training our people, you're like, Hey, more than likely you're going to get out of the truck and they're going to walk up, want to give you a hug. You know, they may not because you're new, but they are for my people, right? They, they know who we are. Mm-hmm. And so that's just neat that you don't start off with telling somebody they're going to hell. You start off with, Hey, we love you. We're here for you. And it works itself out in the end. Yeah. We were sharing even today, cause I was at a conference before this with some pastors and we've added to our outreaches to also do a dinner church in one of the poor and higher crime communities there in Louisville. They said there was multiple homicides this year within a mile of our church. And it's been fun as we've just developed that culture in that impoverished and crime neighborhood where we'll walk down the streets where people, they won't walk down these streets in the day, much less at night, Mm. but people who are in gangs and who are prone to violence. Oh, don't mess with him. He's our pastor. Like they they wouldn't That's step cool. foot in the church. They wouldn't want to ever talk to us about Jesus. But everybody goes, "Oh no, that's our pastor. That's our church and our volunteers. Oh, that's our, those are our people." Yeah. Um, and so I, I love that that heart and that mentality of wherever we go. I, I, I tell people all the time, I don't pastor a church. I pastor a city. Yeah. That's super cool, man. The church without walls. That's right. I don't know. His kind of has walls now, though. Oh yeah, it does yeah. now. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Super cool, man. But. I, what, I, what I think is is crazy is that, like you know, we we are so the church, the capital C church, has become such four wall mentality, mm-hmm. um, and we only. I'm sorry if this is not you, but genuinely, they care about the people who come in and retaining numbers, and it just becomes so CEO, men, you know, mentality. But I love how this has become. Yeah, I care about the city. I care about people who come in and. Uh, they're all mine, and I want to get to everybody. Yeah, we do not run it like a business, or I'd be out of business. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, we were talking before this. Um, oh, and you said you said so many good things before this. I don't remember what we've talked about on the recording, <laughs> what we haven't at this point. But you were talking about how, um, you know, just the, the, the fact that so many people, well, I really think this might have been me, um, was talking about how so many people just they don't want to leave the church walls to go and evangelize, and we were talking about the how the the church role is not just to stay here. And this was now I think this was the mm-hmm. part where you kind of came in there was you know the church role is not just to stay here within the four walls; it's to go out and reach the people that Jesus wants us to reach, right? Yeah, you know one of my favorite verses ever in the Bible is in Luke chapter ten, mm-hmm. but it's which if you don't know is the Good Samaritan story, but I really love verse twenty nine. So Jesus does the whole love your neighbor as yourself thing. And verse 29 is the man looks at Jesus and says, who is my neighbor? But the thing that I love in scripture that we often miss, because I'm a tone guy, I love the, the small words. It says the man trying to justify himself. So what, what that tells you in scripture is he already knew the answer of the question he was asking Jesus. He was trying to excuse the fact he wasn't loving his neighbor. He wasn't leaving the walls. He wasn't going out. Hmm. And instead of just saying, yeah, I should fix that, it was a justification of, oh, but 
I like what I'm doing and I like where I am. And I think sometimes it's the church. We go, but we're having great services and the Holy Spirit's moving and we have people to minister to in the church, but we're just trying to justify ourselves to the fact that we're called to people who aren't being reached. Yeah. In my daily reading, um, so I've been in Matthew, I just finished it. And in Matthew, uh, I just finished the the parable of the talents where the master comes and, you know, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like this, you know. Uh, a master gives uh, has has his servants, and he gives the first servant ten talents, and he says, "Go and and you know use these talents and whatever." He gets to the second servant, he gives him five talents. He's like, "Go and use them and do what you got to do." And then the last guy, he gives him one. And uh, when he comes back, he's like, "Hey, uh, it's time to give an account. What'd you do?" And so the master was gone for a long time. When he comes back, you know, it, it's it's the the first servant he doubled his, the second servant he doubled his. So everybody that uses the talents doubles them. But the one guy who didn't, he buries his talent in the ground, and he he says, "This is your one talent. I knew that you you reap where you do, you, you know you didn't sow and all that kind of stuff." Point being, number one, he didn't use what he was given. But then number two, the master is so angry with him that he actually says, "I'm going to cast you out into the outer darkness." Mm-hmm. And so another thing that we had been talking about before this recording was to respond to things in Scripture with the same temperature that Scripture would respond to them with. Mm-hmm. If you're in the church and you won't go minister to people, Jesus, in that parable, talks about how he will cast you out. You will be cast into the outer darkness. And so it's interesting that that biblically for you not to go is crazy important to Jesus, you know, is is one of the things that Jesus condemns, right? Yeah, well, and... One of the things I really love about that talent story is a lot of times we just use an excuse of, God, I don't know what I have. Mm-hmm. It doesn't take a lot. You know, if I can just share from my personal experience, I'm a massively dysfunctional person. Like with my background and me growing up, not knowing the church, not understanding scripture, all sorts of things. It took years for God to really develop me. Uh, my wife, the same way. But God can use us to reach people. Mm-hmm. Then he really can use anybody and i don't just say that to encourage but he can Mm -hmm. Uh, it's not about oh i'm really good with scripture or i'm really good with you know what god has put a voice inside of you he's given you a testimony and if you just go out and love people and live how god's told you to live then you're going to change lives and do evangelism no matter what talents and gifts you have because once again it's who we are yeah yeah it's really good yeah i think episode one i mean that was what we said about the podcast was it's not that we're, you know, the smartest people in the world. We just, we know that God has a message that he wants to get out to the world. And so we want to be a part of that in whatever way it takes. So, man, we, we so appreciate you coming and we so appreciate the ministry that you do. I mean, it's, we've seen it firsthand and it's super, super cool. Um, but it's also super impactful. And I mean, it, it's, it, it's amazing to look at our students and when they went out versus when they came back in. And they're going, wow, I just can't. I mean, it's it's changed in everything that we've seen about yeah. them. It's changed. It's so cool. Hey, I love hearing stories like that. Yeah. Um, I mean, we're just blessed to do it. I tell people all the time, uh, we're not missionaries to the homeless and human trafficked because that was our second choice. We're there because we love it. We're called to it. And because lives are being changed every day. Yeah. And sometimes people are like, oh, you work with the homeless? <laughs> we're all the world positions taken. Uh, and I'm like, no, we're in the best place in the world. We are with people who need Jesus that are crazy about loving and just need to be directed to the right thing to love. Yeah. So tell us one of those cool stories. Tell us 
what's one of the stories that keeps you in ministry or or has impacted all the ministry that you do whatever give us one of those Man, right now, the story that's just kind of, and I, I mean, you probably, well, if you have followed us, you probably heard Jay's story. I'm shortening his name just to, to keep him safe. But back in January of 2022, so early this year, we talked to Jay for the first time. I remember that night because it was like seven degrees. And mm. from Phoenix, Arizona to Louisville, it's a change, okay? <laughs> it was snowing. They're t- talking to us about an ice storm, and I didn't know what that was. Oh, it was weird. Man. Um, but we're out there and I remember Jay walked up to my truck and he looked me in the face and said, I don't want to hear about your Jesus. I don't want to talk to you. My story is over. And he took a bag of food and he walked away. And for the next several weeks, he would send another person in his camp to go get a bag of food from us. He wouldn't even come talk to us, which I mean, we just, hi, God bless you. Here's the food for him. And after a while, he kind of warmed up to the fact we kept coming and he came up to me and he said, I'll talk to you but I'm not talking about Jesus and I don't need you to hear. I don't need you to tell me about what I need to do. I just will talk to you and be friends with you. Um, and so over the next several months, we just kind of built this relationship with Jay. Uh, come to find out Jay is a human trafficker, most likely hmm. trafficking women. He's addicted to drugs. He's been out there for years and we just continue to love on Jay. And one day something just shifted. He's like, Hey, can you pray for me? And I just, oh, yeah, we can pray for you, Jay. And so we began to pray with him every week we were there. I still don't want to hear about Jesus, but can you pray for me? And then I remember, because we always go out, no matter what. I don't care if it's Christmas or New Year's or Mm -hmm. on June 9th, it was my wedding anniversary, and I went out anyway. Wow. And my wife was all for it. So she's a rock star. Give her the shout out she deserved. Um, But on my anniversary, he walks up and he goes, I need you to tell me about Jesus. We're like, okay. And so we shared the gospel with Jay, and that night he gave his life to Christ. Uh, And I'm big about it not just being a prayer, but it being a lifestyle. Mm. And we told him that. Like, this isn't just so you pray and feel good about yourself. This is like a decision to follow Jesus. You're not going to be perfect. It's going to take time. But I remember coming back the next week, and Jay came up to me with the Bible that I had given him Mm. underlined and with questions in the margins and began to ask me questions from all of the reading he'd been doing. Dude, that is so cool. Uh, And it was, it was one of those funny things because it's in my environment, it's endearing. And some people would kind of be, he was like, I was, I took too much meth the other day and I was up wired. (laughs) And so I started reading my Bible and, but it was just, I I know it sounds funny, but the fact that, hey, I might still be struggling through these things and Jesus needs to work on me, but I'm going to use what I can to get closer to him. Mm. And then over the next couple of weeks, as he asked me questions, he began to tell me, hey, I'm, I'm not using this drug anymore. I'm not doing this anymore. And so it came a point, we actually missed Jay for about a week, and I was worried we'd never missed him. Huh. So the next week we come out, and he's standing there in the middle of the road waiting for his hug. His arms were wide up in the air. And we get out of the van, and Jay goes, I'm housed. I got a place. I've been clean for a week. But what I've realized is I really need God's help to do this better. And while I'm housed, I think I need to walk away from that and go to a cross-centered place that can continue to develop me. Hmm. And so Jay went into cross-centered recovery here in Kentucky, and that was the second week of July. Um, I got to visit him actually last Saturday. Um, Just love on him, continue to build that relationship with him. He's been water baptized since he's been there at recovery. He's been filled with the Holy Spirit, Mm. and he's 
writing Christian songs and sharing his testimony with everybody. He's led several people in his recovery center to Jesus in the six weeks he's been there. So it's one of those, man, from start to finish. And I remember right when he called me from his recovery center the first time, he said, Alex, I thought my story was over. Just like he told me, I thought it was over, but it was really just a chapter. And with the enemy, he thought he'd closed the book on. God was still writing things behind the scenes. Mm. Uh, and so I just, Jay's one of those stories, man, I could tell it over and over for a hundred years and I don't think I could ever get over it. Right. Wow. I know how you do. How could you? I mean, that's, that is the coolest story ever. Yeah. Well, Alex, uh, this is going to go into a part two, um, of stories with Alex Kennedy and things like that. And, uh, no, but we're going to actually dive into evangelism and like, what's the gospel? What is evangelism and things like that. Um, but I want to go ahead and, and discuss this in episode or part one. How how do we give? How can we support uh, your ministry? Yeah, um, we definitely need it. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> um, so as all your missionaries do, please support every your missionary. Every missionary, you know, support missionaries. Uh, we support missionaries. My wife and I. Uh, We're big on missions here in the U.S. and overseas. So wherever missionaries God leads you to support, support your missionaries. Um, But for us, we have our own website. It's savethenationsministries.us, and we have an awesome Give tab. I think it actually is Partner now, uh, and you can give online there. So it's savethenationsministries.us. That's cool. And we'll try to put that up on the Facebook page too. Yeah. And and. All the money that uh, I haven't even talked to Benedina about this, but I'm going to <laughs> I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, all the money that the Altar Podcast raises in September, um, we're going to donate to Alex Kennedy and awesome. his uh, street missionary and ad revenue. We have supporters, so if you are supporting the Altar Podcast, these are the things we try to do. That's cool. That's awesome. Well, thank you guys. No problem. So Ben, play us out with this uh, outro, and then we will do Dina's great thing in the at the end because I just want to go straight into evangelism and all this great stuff. Okay. Well, everybody else has to wait a whole week, though. (laughs) Yeah, Dina. (laughs) That's fine. (laughs) (laughs) That brings them back. (laughs) 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 All right. You all have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Altered Podcast. Be sure to listen next week for a brand new episode. Also, Be sure to connect with us on the Altered Podcast Facebook page for updates and other cool content. See you next week.